Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to wrap up our discussion of 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 to 20. We are talking about the importance of the true gospel. In verse 18, we saw that the gospel has been entrusted to us. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, which obviously means that Paul had the charge, and so he had it. He entrusts it to Timothy, carries on down the line. We've been entrusted with the gospel charge. First part of verse 19, then, we looked at the idea that the gospel is valuable, holding faith and a good conscience. And we looked at those six words there and discussed what it meant to hold to the faith and to hold a good conscience. And we determined from that that the gospel is indeed quite valuable. And now we want to finish looking at the rest of verse 19 and verse 20. So he said, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So this idea of holding faith and a good conscience, that's what we're going off of. He then goes on to say, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What we see here in the last half of verse 19 and verse 20 is that there is danger in rejecting the gospel. So when we talk about the importance of the true gospel, we've seen that the gospel has been entrusted to us. We've seen the value of the gospel, but there's danger in rejecting the gospel. So the first thing we want to dig into here is this idea that when you don't wage war for the gospel, using as your primary weapon the gospel itself, the word of God, you will lose the battle, right? By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So one of the things that we could say right here at the beginning of this is that this whole thing starts with your mind and your trust of yourself and your reasoning, not remembering that your own heart can lead you astray and is not to be trusted. Now, I hope that as you listen to these in series or in sequence, I should say, that you'll still have it fresh in your mind what we talked about in the previous episodes, this idea that we have to daily affirm these things. We have to hold to our faith. We have to hold to a good conscience. We have to count faith as something valuable. We have to have and hold that a good conscience before God that is agreeing with what God says about everything, the world, humanity, himself, sin, salvation, redemption, Jesus Christ, all those things. We have to say what the word of God says. And when we do that, that's how we can maintain and hold a good conscience before God. And the second that we don't do that and we start to trust in our mind and we start to trust in our own reasoning apart from the scriptures, then we are on a slippery slope. And I know that there's controversy Okay, over something like Romans chapter 7. 
uh, people will say, where does Paul locate himself in that? And, and where is the old man per se, right? You know, that battle, that conflict, that tension that we find in Romans seven, the things that I would do, those are the things that I don't do. The things that I would not do, those are the things that I do. So I find present within me this war, right? And, and so some people take that and say, well, that's Paul talking about his former self. That's not the battle anymore. Now, I, as the book of Romans is unfolding, I, that's not where uh, I see that, and especially who he's writing to and where you are in the theological progression of the book. I don't take that to be that that war that he's desiring to do good and he doesn't do it is him before salvation. And one of the reasons that I would say that is we can go to the same man who wrote that elsewhere to another letter like Ephesians, which we come back to often. And we discover that prior to salvation, we're dead. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you can go back and listen to the series on Ephesians, but especially when we get to Ephesians 2, when we talk about spiritual death, the autopsy of spiritual death, right? Uh, those opening verses there in Ephesians chapter 2, we don't have an ability to respond. In fact, Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are at enmity with God when we are not uh, saved. Uh, so that's the very next chapter. And so the point is, is if you're not saved, you're dead. If you're not saved in the state of spiritual death, you're at enmity with God. Then how is it that you can desire to do the right thing before God? You're dead. You don't even care. You, you love the course and the way of this world. And that's, that's what most people like. They have to be spiritually awakened. And my point in bringing all of this up is to say that we run a risk as believers when we move away from the Word of God and start trusting in ourselves. Why? Because the, the old man, even though the old man doesn't have the power over us that he may have once wielded, is still there. You know, remember what Paul says, a wretched man who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's talking about the imagery there is literally that he's tied to a corpse. And that, that picture is very graphic because it shows that our journey in this life, you know, we look at, at verses that are transformative verses or that depict our spiritual transformation. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so they look at that and they say, well, there is no old man. Well, th there is. Uh, we know that because we're not sinless anymore. Okay. And, and that's why we have the letter, uh, the, the Johannine epistles, for instance, first, second, and third John. And those are written to believers. And John writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to believers and says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's not talking about original sin. He's not talking about that sin that we need forgiveness for when we call out to Jesus the first time for, for salvation. He's not talking about that. What is he talking about? He's talking about our daily sin. We sin daily. Okay. So we can't trust our mind. We can't trust our mind apart from the word of God. That's what I'm trying to convey here. And I think that's what's being conveyed in the text by rejecting this, by trusting in our old self and by trusting in our mind. And remember what Jeremiah said, you know, what, what God said through the prophet Jeremiah I should say more accurately in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or desperately sick. 
And then he goes on to say that he knows the heart. He examines it. Okay. But it starts with your mind. And if you allow yourself to begin reasoning and come up with conclusions that are apart from the scripture, you are in a very dangerous spot spiritually because apart from the scripture reigning you in and you allowing the spirit to work in you and you responding to the prompting of the spirit through the word to repent and get yourself aligned with the word of God, you are in dangerous, dangerous territory. What happens next? Well, by rejecting the truth of the gospel, right? And remember back in verse five of this chapter, a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. By rejecting those things, you have lost the ability to navigate the waters of life. And really, uh, there is a, a analogy shift here because he goes from warfare to seafaring. Uh, and notice what he says by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So now instead of waging war, he's talking about seafaring. Now without the word or the gospel as a compass, I think of Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? We talk about the word of God functioning as a compass to our life. Without that word, you have no way of navigating the waters ahead to know where the rocky shoals are. Uh, furthermore, the word does not function as a lighthouse warning you to alter your path uh, if you have rejected it. The result is shipwreck, utter ruin. Without the word of God, you have no way to navigate this life. It's an incredibly powerful picture that we are presented with here in verse 19. And I hope that you recognize it and that we can learn the lesson from these two men in Paul's day. No doubt we could probably substitute names of people that we have encountered in our journeys since the Lord has saved us and left us here on this earth. But we could probably substitute their names in for Hymenaeus and Alexander and say, hey, I know people that once acknowledged the gospel and now have walked away from this. They have rejected the gospel. They've made shipwreck of their faith. Interesting. Not just their life. No, it's their faith. In other words, their faith has been wrecked. You can't navigate the, the journey of faith apart from the word of God. And that's an important lesson as well. Why do we say that? Because there are a lot of people who talk about the importance of faith and they don't want to attach it to the word of God. Oh, I have faith. Well, you need to have an object to the faith. Faith by itself is nothing. It's vacuous. It's empty. The object of your faith should be God, and it can't be God who you make up by your own definitions and your own whims and fantasies. It has to be God as he has revealed himself and defined himself in the word of God. So, and that's what we're saying here is that some people cling to this idea of faith. Oh, I'm a person of faith. I, I'm a religious person, you might hear somebody say, and then I know some conservative people, you know, are a little bit squeamish at the, at the word religious uh, and yet we find it in the scriptures, right? Pure and undefiled religion, uh, it talks about. And I'm not here to talk and, and you know, to, to quibble about words necessarily on, on that subject. But if somebody comes to you and says, I'm a person of faith, don't just take that to mean that they understand the gospel. 
Faith in what should be our question? Because by rejecting the gospel, by not tethering our faith to the word of God, by not having the object of our faith be God himself and his son, Jesus Christ, and the word which he is giving, uh, you know, because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was with God. And apart from him, nothing was made that was made. Go back and read John chapter one tells us all about the object of our faith. And the point is with that, if your faith is not tethered to that, then you are about to make a shipwreck of your faith. You have no way to navigate the waters that we call faith that will lead you to God and ultimately to eternal life. So if you reject the gospel, you watch somebody around you reject the gospel, they are in great danger. And hopefully, by God's grace, we can he can use us to, to help uh, put that compass back in their hand and we can pray for a person, right? So by rejecting the truth of the gospel, uh, they are in great, great danger. Now, the verb here, uh, rejecting this, carries the idea of deliberate action. In other words, what Hymenaeus and Alexander did was not an accident. They have made, right? They have made shipwreck of their faith. They were not shipwrecked. It did not come upon them. They are the ones who wrecked the ship. They were not caused to be shipwrecked. They steered the ship into the rocks and the shoals, okay, or the reef to run around. Uh, the object of the shipwreck, okay, what is ruined? Well, we said that. It's faith. Faith itself can be ruined by bad doctrine. False teaching can ruin faith. So that's the end of verse 19, when you don't wage war for the gospel, using as your primary weapon the gospel itself, you will lose the battle. But that brings us to verse 20. There is a personal danger in rejecting the gospel. There's a personal danger in rejecting the gospel. Not just faith in general of someone else. Paul here cites two examples, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Okay, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they have shipwrecked their faith. They have done what he described in the end of verse 19. In other words, what we know about them is this. They once believed, but they no longer do. They're the opposite of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. They saw, and now they've willfully <laughs> removed their eyesight and are blind. Okay, they now serve as a warning to all others. In other words, you do not want to be like Hymenaeus and Alexander. We read about Hymenaeus in 2 Timothy 2.17 saying, uh, what was his issue? He, he says that the resurrection has already happened. He's talking about the, the final resurrection. It's already done. 2 Timothy 2.17 and 18. What about Alexander? We find another man by the name of Alexander in Acts chapter 19, verse 33, probably not the same one here, but it is likely that he is the coppersmith who is mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, who did Paul great harm. In other words, one of the things that we learn here, even though we don't have a direct doctrinal connection, uh, Hymenaeus claims that the resurrection already happened. You know, some people who claim that Jesus already came back and we're now in paradise. I mean, th th that's, that's not the gospel, okay? Uh, what do we know about Alexander? Well, how did he treat those who taught him in the faith and those uh, who are doing battle royal for the gospel? Well, he did Paul great harm. Did he do him physical harm? Was it spiritual harm? We don't know exactly, but I can tell you this, that this is not the behavior of Christians, right? What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
We are commanded to treat the body of Christ a certain way. And I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to find an example in Scripture that says we can go to the body of Christ and harm them. Okay, there, there are procedures to go through if somebody is, is errant in their faith and there is a, a church discipline process and a restoration process, but nowhere in there do we just go out and bludgeon people and harm them. Alexander did just that. And so by doing that, that is not in keeping with Christian behavior. He is uh, demonstrating that he has also abandoned the faith. And so that leads us then, then to this. The deterioration of faith results in more pain. Could be spiritual pain on, uh, you know, and sorrow for, for us who have to watch people go through this, but it's more pain for them too. Uh, and, and this is devastating on a number of levels. I mean, John says about those who went out from us, they went out from us because they were never of us. Doesn't say how long that they were a part of that body, but it, at the point that they decide to fully and finally leave, it is uh, an evidence that they were never of us. So there is that first implication that if they're not truly saved, that has eternal ramifications, and that's absolutely uh, devastating when you think about that. Spending eternity apart from Jesus, apart from God in life, uh, but suffering for all of eternity, eternal wrath, uh, and that's just awful. But it also results in more pain in this life, okay? Especially when you had opportunity to be exposed to the gospel and then you willfully reject it. Paul says here that they are handed over. He he handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. The deterioration of faith results in more pain. Think about 1 Corinthians 5, 5, uh, where when somebody is standing in the path of of church discipline. Uh, he had to judge a matter that the church was refusing to do. He said he had handed them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And by the way, this is what Satan does best. And we pray when we have to see somebody in this situation that, that it would have its desired effect when they are feeling that discomfort in their life, uh, that it would produce repentance at the very end, at least, and that they could be restored. That's what we pray for. And we also note this, that as people head down the path, and we just get a small picture here, that the deterioration of faith may result in blasphemy. Once you go off the rails and you're not kept in and reined in by the word of God, the thing that's going to follow is likely some things that are untrue. To blaspheme is to ascribe to God things that are not true about him, or to fail to ascribe to him that which is true about him and to deny certain of his attributes. And so people who are not tethered to the word of God, who are not bound by it, when they come up with notions of who God is, it often, according to the definition of the word, is blasphemous because the things that they're saying about God are not true. And so as they have rejected the gospel, as they have rejected faith and a good conscience, tethering to the gospel itself and the word of God. Not only have they shipwrecked their faith, but now they are handed over to Satan. Why? Because they are blaspheming. And now they need to learn not to blaspheme. They need to learn that God is serious. And this is a serious thing. This is, again, you know, just a side observation here. But 
This is not something that you can observe in a laboratory and say, okay, well, if this happens for this amount of time and so forth, and this is going to happen and we can chart it all down and log it, God may do that. You know, you think about the corruption of the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Some, by taking the table, the elements of the table, the, the bread and the wine in an unworthy manner, are sick. And some even sleep, he says, which is a euphemism for death. Does that, you know, have, has anybody ever taken the table in an unworthy manner between the time of the institution of the Lord's Supper and today? No doubt. But have they all gotten sick and perished? No. They could. They don't have to. Okay. And so it's the same thing here. You're in very dangerous territory because even though God is long-suffering and he's merciful, the fact of the matter is, is he knows exactly what is needed. And there is great, great danger in rejecting the gospel. I hope that is a sobering reminder to us. It helps us to pray for those who have gone off the path. And it is a warning for us as well that when we are tempted to go off the path, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the way we can do that is by tethering ourselves to the word of God. Well, that's all we have time for today. And that wraps up 1 Timothy chapter 1. In our next episode, we'll dive into chapter 2. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.